Chapter Ten of Abraham Lincoln A History, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Judy Derby. Abraham Lincoln A History, Volume Two by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Chapter Ten Lincoln's Ohio Speeches. When Lincoln, in opening the senatorial campaign of Illinois, declared that the Republican cause must be entrusted to its own undoubted friends who do care for the result, he displayed a much better understanding of the character and aims of his opponent than those who, not so well informed, desired the adoption of a different course had the wishes of greeley and others prevailed had douglas been adopted by the illinois republicans the party would have found itself in a fatal dilemma no sooner was the campaign closed than douglas having entered on his tour through the south began making speeches apparently designed to pave his way to a nomination for president by the next democratic national convention realizing that he had lost ground by his anti-lecomptonism and especially by his freeport doctrine and having felt in the late campaign the hostility of the buchanan administration he now sought to recover prestige by publishing more advanced opinions indirectly sustaining and defending slavery hitherto he had declared he did not care whether slavery was voted down or voted up he had said he would not argue the question whether slavery was right or wrong he had adopted taney's assertion that the negro had no share in the declaration of independence he had asserted that uniformity was impossible but that freedom and slavery might abide together forever but now that the election was over and a new term in the senate secure he was ready to conciliate pro-slavery opinion with stronger expressions hence in a speech at memphis he cunningly linked together in argument unfriendly legislation slavery and annexation he said whenever a territory has a climate soil and production making it the interest of the inhabitants to encourage slave property they will pass a slave code wherever these preclude the possibility of slavery being profitable they will not permit it on the sugar plantations of louisiana it was not a question between the white man and the negro but between the negro and the crocodile he would say that between the negro and the crocodile he took the side of the negro but between the negro and the white man he would go for the white man the almighty has drawn the line on this continent on the one side of which the soil must be cultivated by slave labor on the other by white labor that line did not run on thirty-six degrees and thirty minutes the missouri compromise line for thirty-six degrees and thirty minutes runs over mountains and through valleys but this slave line he said meanders in the sugar fields and plantations of the south and the people living in their different localities and in the territories must determine for themselves whether their middle bed is best adapted to slavery or free labor referring to annexation 
he said our destiny had forced us to acquire florida louisiana texas new mexico and california we have new territory enough but how long will it be enough one hive is enough for one swarm of bees but a new swarm comes next year and a new hive is wanted men may say we shall never want anything more of mexico but the time would come when we would be compelled to take more central america was halfway to california and on the direct road the time will come when our destiny our institutions our safety will compel us to have it so it is concluded he with the island of cuba it is a matter of no consequence whether we want it or not we are compelled to take it and we can't help it when douglas reached new orleans he substantially repeated these declarations in another long speech and as if he had not yet placed himself in entire harmony with southern opinion he added a sentiment almost as remarkable as the mudsill theory of hammond or the later cornerstone doctrine of stevens it is a law of humanity said he a law of civilization that whenever a man or a race of men show themselves incapable of managing their own affairs they must consent to be governed by those who are capable of performing the duty it is on this principle that you establish those institutions of charity for the support of the blind or the deaf and dumb or the insane in accordance with this principle i assert that the negro race under all circumstances at all times and in all countries has shown itself incapable of self-government once more in a speech at baltimore douglas repeated in substance what he had said at memphis and new orleans and then in the beginning of january eighteen fifty nine he reached washington and took his seat in the senate here he began to comprehend the action of the democratic caucus in deposing him from the chairmanship of the committee on territories his personal influence and prestige among the southern leaders were gone neither his revived zeal for annexation nor his advanced views on the necessity for slave labor restored his good fellowship with the extremists although pursuant to a recommendation in the annual message a measure was then pending in the senate to place thirty millions in the hands of president buchanan with which to negotiate for cuba the attitude of the pro-slavery faction was not one of conciliation but of unrelenting opposition to him towards the close of the short session this feeling broke out in an open demonstration on february twenty three while an item of the appropriation bill was under debate senator brown of mississippi said he wanted the success of the democratic party in eighteen sixty to be a success of principles and not of men he neither wanted to cheat nor be cheated under the decision of the supreme court the south would demand protection for slavery in the territories if he understood the senator from illinois mr douglas he thought a territorial legislature might by non-action or by unfriendly action rightfully exclude slavery he dissented from him and now he would like to know from other senators from the north what they would do if the territorial legislature refuses to act 
will you act if it pass unfriendly acts will you pass friendly if it pass laws hostile to slavery will you annul them and substitute laws favoring slavery in their stead i would rather concluded he see the democratic party sunk never to be resurrected than to see it successful only that one portion of it might practice a fraud on another douglas met the issue and defended his freeport doctrine without flinching the democracy of the north hold said he that if you repudiate the doctrine of non-intervention and form a slave code by act of congress where the people of a territory refuse it you must step off the democratic platform i tell you gentlemen of the south in all candor i do not believe a democratic candidate can ever carry any one democratic state of the north on the platform that it is the duty of the federal government to force the people of a territory to have slavery when they do not want it the discussion extended itself to other senators jefferson davis of mississippi clay of alabama mason of virginia and gwynne of california seconded the demands and arguments of brown while pugh of ohio broderick of california and stewart of michigan came to the help and defense of douglas and non-intervention several republicans drifted into the debate on behalf of the position and principles of their party which of course differed from those of both brown and douglas the discussion was continued to a late hour and finally came to an end through mere lapse of time but not until an irreparable schism in the democratic party had been opened silence upon so vital an issue could not long be maintained in the following june an iowa friend wrote to douglas to inquire whether he would be a candidate for the presidential nomination at the coming charleston convention douglas replied that party issues must first be defined if the democracy adhered to their former principles his friends would be at liberty to present his name if on the contrary continued he it shall become the policy of the democratic party which i cannot anticipate to repudiate these their time-honored principles on which we have achieved so many patriotic triumphs and in lieu of them the convention shall interpolate into the creed of the party such new issues as the revival of the african slave trade or a congressional slave code for the territories or the doctrine that the constitution of the united states either establishes or prohibits slavery in the territories beyond the power of the people legally to control it as other property it is due to candor to say that in such an event i could not accept the nomination if tendered to me we must leave the career of douglas for a while to follow up the personal history of lincoln the peculiar attitude of national politics had in the previous year drawn the attention of the whole country to illinois in a remarkable degree the senatorial campaign was hardly opened when a chicago editor whose daily examination of a large list of newspaper exchanges brought the fact vividly under his observation wrote to lincoln you are like byron who woke up one morning and found himself famous people wish to know about you 
you have sprung at once from the position of a capital fellow and a leading lawyer in illinois to a national reputation the compliment was fully warranted the personal interest in lincoln increased daily from the beginning to the end of the great debates the freeport doctrine and its effect upon the democratic party gave these discussions both present significance and a growing interest for the future another friend wrote him a few days after election you have made a noble canvas which if unavailing in this state has earned you a national reputation and made you friends everywhere that this was not the mere flattery of partial friends became manifest to him by other indications by an increased correspondence filled with general commendation and particularly by numerous invitations to deliver speeches in other states the republican central committee of new hampshire wrote him that if douglas came as was expected to that state they desired lincoln to come and answer him the central committee of minnesota wished him to come there and assist in their canvass there was an incessant commotion in politics throughout the whole north and as the season advanced calls came from all quarters kansas wanted him buffalo des moines pittsburgh wanted him thurlow weed telegraphed send abraham lincoln to albany immediately not only his presence but his arguments and ideas were in demand dennison making the canvass for governor of ohio asked for a report of his debates for campaign material that men in all parts of the union were thus turning to him for help and counsel was due not alone to the publicity and credit he had gained in his debates with douglas in the previous year it grew quite as much out of the fact that by his sagacity and courage he had made himself the safest as well as the most available rallying point of the republican party and exponent of republican doctrine the lecompton quarrel in the democratic party had led many prominent republicans on a false trail in douglas's new attitude developed by his southern speeches and his claim to readmission into regular democratic fellowship these leaders found themselves at fault discredited by their own course lincoln on the contrary not only held aloft the most aggressive republican banner but stood nearest the common party enemy and was able to offer advice to all the elements of the republican party free from any suspicion of intrigue with foe or faction the causes of his senatorial defeat thus gave him a certain party authority and leadership which were felt if not openly acknowledged on his part while never officious or obtrusive he was always ready with seasonable and judicious suggestions generous in spirit and comprehensive in scope and which looked beyond mere local success thus he wrote from springfield to schuyler colfax afterwards vice-president of the united states july sixth eighteen fifty nine i much regret not seeing you while you were here among us before learning that you were to be at jacksonville on the fourth i had given my word to be at another place besides a strong desire to make your personal acquaintance i was anxious to speak with you on politics a little more fully than i can well do in a letter my main object in such conversation 
would be to hedge against divisions in the republican ranks generally and particularly for the contest of eighteen sixty the point of danger is the temptation in different localities to platform for something which will be popular just there but which nevertheless will be a firebrand elsewhere and especially in a national convention as instances the movement against foreigners in massachusetts in new hampshire to make obedience to the fugitive slave law punishable as a crime in ohio to repeal the fugitive slave law and squatter sovereignty in kansas in these things there is explosive matter enough to blow up half a dozen national conventions if it gets into them and what gets very rife outside of conventions is very likely to find its way into them what is desirable if possible is that in every local convocation of republicans a point should be made to avoid everything which will disturb republicans elsewhere massachusetts republicans should have looked beyond their noses and then they could not have failed to see that tilting against foreigners would ruin us in the whole northwest new hampshire and ohio should forbear tilting against the fugitive slave law in such a way as to utterly overwhelm us in illinois with the charge of enmity to the constitution itself kansas in her confidence that she can be saved to freedom on squatter sovereignty ought not to forget that to prevent the spread and nationalization of slavery is a national concern and must be attended to by the nation in a word in every locality we should look beyond our noses and at least say nothing on points where it is probable we shall disagree i write this for your eye only hoping however if you see danger as i think i do you will do what you can to avert it could not suggestions be made to leading men in the state and congressional conventions and so avoid to some extent at least these apples of discord by this time colfax was cured of his late coquetting with douglas and he replied the suggestions you make have occurred to me nothing is more evident than that there is an ample number of voters in the northern states opposed to the extension and aggressions of slavery and to democratic misrule to triumphantly elect a president of the united states but it is equally evident that making up this majority are men of all shades and gradations of opinion from the conservative who will scarcely defend his principles for fear of imperiling peace to the bold radical who strikes stalwart blows regardless of policy or popularity how this mass of mind shall be consolidated into a victorious phalanx in eighteen sixty is the great problem i think of our eventful times and he who could accomplish it is worthier of fame than napoleon or victor emmanuel in this work to achieve success and to achieve it without sacrifice of essential principle you can do far more than one like myself so much younger your counsel carries great weight with it for to be plain there is no political letter that falls from your pen which is not copied throughout the union 
this allusion was called out by two letters which lincoln had written during the year one declaring his opposition to the waning fallacy of know-nothingism in which he also defined his position on fusion referring to a provision lately adopted by massachusetts to restrict naturalization he wrote massachusetts is a sovereign and independent state and it is no privilege of mine to scold her for what she does still if from what she has done an inference is sought to be drawn as to what i would do i may without impropriety speak out i say then that as i understand the massachusetts provision i am against its adoption in illinois or in any other place where i have a right to oppose it understanding the spirit of our institutions to aim at the elevation of men i am opposed to whatever tends to degrade them i have some little notoriety for commiserating the oppressed condition of the negro and i should be strangely inconsistent if i could favor any project for curtailing the existing rights of white men even though born in different lands and speaking different languages from myself as to the matter of fusion i am for it if it can be had on republican grounds and i am not for it on any other terms a fusion on any other terms would be as foolish and unprincipled it would lose the whole north while the common enemy would still carry the whole south the question of men is a different one there are good patriotic men and able statesmen in the south whom i would cheerfully support if they would now place themselves on republican ground but i am against letting down the republican standard a hair's breadth the other was a somewhat longer letter to a boston committee which had invited him to a festival in honor of jefferson's birthday bearing in mind that about seventy years ago two great political parties were first formed in this country that thomas jefferson was the head of one of them and boston the headquarters of the other it is both curious and interesting that those supposed to descend politically from the party opposed to jefferson should now be celebrating his birthday in their own original seat of empire while those claiming political descent from him have nearly ceased to breathe his name everywhere but soberly it is now no child's play to save the principles of jefferson from total overthrow in this nation one would state with great confidence that he could convince any sane child that the simpler propositions of euclid are true but nevertheless he would fail utterly with one who should deny the definitions and axioms the principles of jefferson are the definitions and axioms of free society and yet they are denied and evaded with no small show of success one dashingly calls them glittering generalities another bluntly calls them self-evident lies and others insidiously argue that they apply only to superior races these expressions differing in form are identical in object and effect the supplanting the principles of free government and restoring those of classification caste and legitimacy they would delight a convocation of crowned heads plotting against the people they are the vanguard the miners and sappers of returning despotism we must repulse them 
or they will subjugate us. This is a world of compensation, and he who would be no slave must consent to have no slave. Those who deny freedom to others deserve it not for themselves, and under a just God cannot long retain it. All honor to Jefferson, to the man who, in the concrete pressure of a struggle for national independence by a single people, had the coolness, forecast, and capacity to introduce into a merely revolutionary document an abstract truth, applicable to all men and all times, and so to embalm it there that, today, and in all coming days, it shall be a rebuke and a stumbling block to the very harbingers of reappearing tyranny and oppression. Lincoln's more important political work of the year 1859 was the part he took in the canvass in the state of Ohio, where a governor was to be chosen at the October election, and where the result would decide not merely the present and local strength of the rival candidates, but also to some extent indicate the prospects and probabilities of the presidential campaign of 1860. The Ohio Democrats had called Douglas into their canvass, and the Republicans, as soon as they learned the fact, arranged that Lincoln should come and answer him. There was a fitness in this, not merely because Lincoln's joint debates with him in Illinois in the previous summer were so successful, but also because Douglas, in nearly every speech made since then, both in his southern tour and elsewhere, alluded to the Illinois campaign, and to Lincoln by name especially to what he characterized as his political heresies by thus everywhere making lincoln and lincoln's utterances a public target douglas himself in effect prolonged and extended the joint debates over the whole union another circumstance added to the momentary interest of the general discussion douglas was by nature aggressive determined to hold his northern followers in the new issues which had grown out of his freeport doctrine and the new antagonisms which the recent slave code debate in the senate revealed he wrote and published in harper's magazine for september eighteen fifty nine a political article beginning with the assertion that under our complex system of government it is the first duty of american statesmen to mark distinctly the dividing line between federal and local authority quoting both the paragraph of lincoln's springfield speech declaring that a house divided against itself cannot stand and the paragraph from seward's rochester speech announcing the irrepressible conflict douglas made a long historical examination of his own theory of non-intervention and popular sovereignty and built up an elaborate argument to sustain his course the novelty of this appeal to the public occasioned general interest and varied comment and the expedient seemed so ingenious as to excite the envy of administration democrats accordingly attorney-general black of president buchanan's cabinet at the request of friends wrote printed and circulated an anonymous pamphlet in answer in which he admitted that douglas was not the man to be treated with a disdainful silence but characterized the harper essay as an unsuccessful effort at legal precision like the writing of a judge who is trying in vain to give good reasons for a wrong decision on a question of law which he has not quite mastered douglas in a speech at worcester ohio criticized this performance of blacks 
reply and rejoinder on both sides followed in due time and this war of pamphlets was one of the prominent political incidents of the year thus lincoln's advent in the ohio campaign attracted much more than usual notice he made but two speeches one at columbus and one at cincinnati at each of which places douglas had recently preceded him lincoln's addresses not only brought him large and appreciative audiences but they obtained an unprecedented circulation in print in the main they reproduced and tersely reapplied the ideas and arguments developed in the senatorial campaign in illinois adding however searching comments on the newer positions and points to which douglas had since advanced there was only space to insert a few disconnected quotations now what is judge douglas's popular sovereignty it is as a principle no other than that if one man chooses to make a slave of another man neither that other man nor anybody else has a right to object if you will read the copyright essay you will discover that judge douglas himself says a controversy between the american colonies and the government of great britain began on the slavery question in sixteen ninety nine and continued from that time until the revolution and while he did not say so we all know that it has continued with more or less violence ever since the revolution take these two things and consider them together present the question of planting a state with the institution of slavery by the side of a question of who shall be governor of kansas for a year or two and is there a man here is there a man on earth who would not say the governor question is the little one and the slavery question is the great one i ask any honest democrat if the small the local the trivial and temporary question is not who shall be governor while the durable the important and the mischievous one is shall this soil be planted with slavery this is an idea i suppose which has arisen in judge douglas's mind from his peculiar structure i suppose the institution of slavery really looks small to him he is so put up by nature that a lash upon his back would hurt him but a lash upon anybody else's back does not hurt him the dred scott decision expressly gives every citizen of the united states a right to carry his slaves into the united states territories and now there was some inconsistency in saying that the decision was right and saying too that the people of the territory could lawfully drive slavery out again when all the trash the words the collateral matter was cleared away from it all the chaff was fanned out of it it was a bare absurdity no less than that a thing may be lawfully driven away from where it has a lawful right to be the judge says the people of the territories have the right by his principle to have slaves if they want them then i say that the people in georgia have the right to buy slaves in africa if they want them and i defy any man on earth to show any distinction between the two things to show that the one is either more wicked or more unlawful to show on original principles that one is better or worse than the other or to show by the constitution that one differs a whit from the other he will tell me doubtless that there is no constitutional provision against people taking slaves into the new territories 
and i tell him that there is equally no constitutional provision against buying slaves in africa then i say if this principle is established that there is no wrong in slavery and whoever wants it has a right to have it that it is a matter of dollars and cents a sort of question how they shall deal with brutes that between us and the negro here there is no sort of question but that at the south the question is between the negro and the crocodile that it is a mere matter of policy that there is a perfect right according to interest to do just as you please when this is done where this doctrine prevails the miners and sappers will have formed public opinion for the slave trade public opinion in this country is everything in a nation like ours this popular sovereignty and squatter sovereignty have already wrought a change in the public mind to the extent i have stated there is no man in this crowd who can contradict it now if you are opposed to slavery honestly as much as anybody i ask you to note that fact and the like of which is to follow to be plastered on layer after layer until very soon you are prepared to deal with the negro everywhere as with the brute a public sentiment has not been debauched already to this point a new turn of the screw in that direction is all that is wanting and this is constantly being done by the teachers of this insidious popular sovereignty you need but one or two turns further until your minds now ripening under these teachings will be ready for all these things and you will receive and support or submit to the slave trade revived with all its horrors a slave code enforced in our territories and a new dred scott decision to bring slavery up into the very heart of the free north this government is expressly charged with the duty of providing for the general welfare we believe that the spreading out and perpetuity of the institution of slavery impairs the general welfare we believe nay we know that this is the only thing that has ever threatened the perpetuity of the union itself i say we must not interfere with the institution of slavery in the states where it exists because the constitution forbids it and the general welfare does not require us to do so we must not withhold an efficient fugitive slave law because the constitution requires us as i understand it not to withhold such a law but we must prevent the outspreading of the institution because neither the constitution nor the general welfare requires us to extend it we must prevent the revival of the african slave trade and the enacting by congress of a territorial slave code we must prevent each of these things being done by either congresses or courts the people of these united states are the rightful masters of both congresses and courts not to overthrow the constitution but to overthrow the men who pervert the constitution the ohio republicans gained a decided success at the october election ascribing this result in a large measure to the influence of lincoln's speeches the state executive committee resolved to publish in cheap book form the full illinois joint debates and the two ohio addresses to serve as campaign material for the ensuing year we regard them wrote the committee to lincoln as luminous and triumphant expositions of the doctrines of the republican party 
successfully vindicated from the aspersions of its foes and calculated to make a document of great practical service to the republican party in the approaching presidential contest lincoln thanking them for the flattering terms of their request explained in his reply the copies i send you are as reported and printed by the respective friends of senator douglas and myself at the time that is his by his friends and mine by mine it would be an unwarrantable liberty for us to change a word or a letter in his and the changes i have made in mine you perceive are verbal only and very few in number i wish the reprint to be precisely as the copies i send without any comment whatever the enterprise proved a success beyond the most sanguine expectations a columbus firm undertook the publication itself assuming all pecuniary risk three large editions were sold directly to the public without any aid from or any purchase by the committee the third edition containing the announcement that up to that date june sixteenth eighteen sixty thirty thousand copies had already been circulated End of chapter ten